Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You're invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Today's scripture is from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one Spirit, and we all share the same Spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary, and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this care. So God has put the whole body together, such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it, and if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you've ever had a toothache, you understand how much that that can really take over your entire body. Or if you've ever had to, Lord help it, pass a kidney stone, uh, you understand how that can impact the function of the whole body. A little bit of calcium oxide can really ruin somebody's whole day. In both those experiences, even if the pain has a source in a very specific location, then the pain can really spread throughout the entire being. We've seen that in our families, too, if we look at it from that perspective. When someone is sick or hurting, healthy families will extend care and help. Or when somebody experiences joy in our families, a healthy family will celebrate along with that person. But my eyes were opened to a somewhat unfortunate trend while I was in seminary. The church was polarized on a number of issues. It has been for a number of years. And having attended a fairly progressive seminary with a, a number of uh, folks who were academically inclined, pastors that were training in you know, typically smaller churches, they didn't have a lot of love for some of the conservative megachurch pastors and especially the ones that you'd see on TV. They seemed to celebrate when news broke of something like Haggard falling in shame and hypocrisy. 
In fact, they seem to revel in the unmasking of someone speaking about holiness who is being exposed for the snake that they always thought him to be. And I was a bit heartbroken by that because the watching world didn't see this as a progressive versus traditional battle and a point was being handed to the progressives. They saw it as yet another lying Christian leader failing. Christian faith, once again, being a mockery and another reason to dismiss Jesus, period. And the fact that Christians seem to be fighting with one another about who is more right about it didn't seem to do anything to take away from those perceptions. And that grieved me. That type of division in the church is like the people on the buoyant half of the Titanic mocking and laughing at the people on the underwater half of the Titanic. They didn't realize that the iceberg that they hit affects the whole ship and not just one side. And we can nuance about why one version of Jesus is more right than someone else's version of Jesus, but it's only for our own justification and rationalization. People who aren't on the ship just see the distress flares, and even though they emit light, it's not the light of Christ. So despite the differences that we find in the church, the unique perspectives and backgrounds, what is it that shows our spiritual connection across these potential divides? And that takes us to our first lesson from this morning's scripture. If we let it, our identity in Christ has the power to break down any barriers that would separate us as believers. If we let it, our identity in Christ has the power to break down any barriers that would separate us as believers. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. The human body has many parts, but the parts make up one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share that spirit. The letters of the New Testament give us a wonderful window into a young church that is in development. It's starting to come to terms with what it means to have a much more diverse group than has been called together under a single banner before that would function then as a united entity. And prior to the approach of those who sought to follow Christ, the animosity between those who were Jewish and those who were not of the Jewish faith was a bit toxic. Both saw the other as less than or as dirty animals. The incredible inequality between those who were indentured to service and those who were not was really stark. These were issues of racial and cultural and economic inequality that was hitting the young church head on. And Paul saw the danger of a church that was breaking up before it even ever had a chance to thrive. And to Paul, the message of sins forgiven and death defeated, our relationship with God and one, other, one another restored to new life, through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it was far too important to let division destroy the church. Too much was at stake, including people's eternal destinations. The church couldn't give in to the temptation to divide so easily. And Christ was the answer to that. Particularly, if we died to ourselves and had been raised in Christ, it's no longer I who live, says Paul, but Christ who lives within me. He says what he was, all the former accolades of his background and all the former brokenness no longer defines him. That creature has passed away and in its place is a new creation. Now Paul still referred to his background in order to build connections with people, but he used it as a tool. That story is something to be embraced and not erased because it's part of the testimony that brought him to Jesus Christ and part of what compels him to bring Christ to others. 
but his primary identity was that of a Christ follower. We still have a hard time with that in our somewhat partisan and tribal culture. If, as Christians, there is something that defines us over and above our relationship to Jesus, that thing becomes our religion. For some, it could be politics. For others, it could be race. For some, it might be economic status or even a support sports team, I suppose. Whatever we choose to define ourselves over and above Jesus Christ becomes our religion. And that might be tough to hear, but that's at the heart of the divisions of the church throughout history. And if we only spend time connecting with other Christ followers who have our same religious background, our same cultural and ethnic background, or economic realities, educational or employment status, or even just within our own denomination, the human tendency is to imagine that our way is the way of everyone. Even in Illinois Methodism, there is a pretty significant variety of approaches and understanding of how to live out this Christian faith. And so we get to figure out some of the important ways that our uniqueness is part of God's gifting to us, but our unity is God's requirement of us. And so that takes us to our second lesson. The question for Christians isn't, are we connected? But how are we connected? How are we connected? Paul goes on. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how could we hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In previous jobs, I can remember nearly every time I got my hand slapped for doing something that was outside of my job description. For example, I was working at a TV station doing the Chiron, which is you know, the titles and graphics and things like that for a morning show. And we had talked in our morning show crew, our, our little team there, about how we wanted to freshen things up a little bit, maybe put up a different graphic to represent the show. And so I was a student at the time. I had access to Photoshop and a little bit of background. So I was playing around with some possibilities, and I brought one in front of our just little morning show crew and showed it to them. They said, well, that's pretty neat. We should use that. And so we did. We decided to use it one morning. And... I liked to use my skills to make a difference. I wanted to be helpful. My work would be seen by people, which was super important to me at the time. And after the morning show concluded, the art director for the station came in visibly frustrated, like red in his face frustrated. He came right up to me and said, do you know why I have to come in during my vacation to sort out the changed graphics for the morning show? And I think I mumbled something about how we thought it looked nice and we decided we might try to use it. And I designed it. I was trying to be helpful. And that's when he looked me dead in the eye and he said, who died and made you God? Now, in my youthful ignorance, there were a number of things that I had failed to consider in my enthusiasm towards trying to be helpful. When I got called into my boss's office, he kindly relayed to me some things that my still-developing brain had not fully considered. There's someone who had that design job, and it was not me. There were people who had that kind of decision-making authority, and again, that group did not include me. 
And it was also sweeps time for the station, which has a whole lot to do with people being able to recognize the station that they were watching so that they would be able to record that they were viewing the station, which would increase their ability to attract advertiser revenue, all of which was shared graciously. But I really, really felt the impact of that correction. That's when I first started to understand that my well-intentioned efforts to be helpful weren't always all that helpful. Now, the fact that this was over 20 years ago, when I can recall that incident near verbatim, this was not an isolated incident for me either. I, I used to think that it was a rebellious streak in me, and that was partially true. I thought maybe my theme song was, I fought the law and the law won, but it was probably more like, I think I'm pretty special and helpful, but I need to better understand my place in an organization. It's not quite as catchy, but that would be my song. Admittedly, that's not quite as catchy. But when I became a Christian, some of that I'm a special helper understanding traveled with me, and I didn't really have an understanding that the body of Christ was bigger than my whims and even my best strategies. I was a part of an organism. And while I was not an unimportant part, I was not the only consideration. I believe at that point, God was guiding me to be a person under authority, that it would be good for my development as a disciple to submit to someone like a bishop who could offer spiritual leadership and who would help me to trust Christ's work and discernment outside of my own limited insight. And that's one of the reasons why I became a Methodist. In our connection, I serve as a person who is under authority. And by the grace of Christ, my response is typically to submit to that authority, though my less sanctified nature wants to be completely in control of all my circumstances. From a cultural perspective, that's been very helpful to me. I get to submit to leadership that for my time in appointed ministry so far includes people who often and historically may have been excluded from leadership by people who would match my demographics. I'm not always super enthusiastic about everybody's leadership styles or decisions, but I'm also really glad that I don't have their job. I know for a fact that God still uses an imperfect system to advance his kingdom, and my submission is one of the ways that I get to honor God. So whatever comes, whatever happens in this uh, Methodist Malay, I will continue to seek ways to make myself accountable to a system of godly authority, because that is just healthy for me, and I believe it's a calling on my life. But I know that that's not the case for everybody. The connection hasn't been historically good for everyone. Churches have been wounded by the shortcomings of human leadership. Pastors have been burned out by the fallen nature of human leadership. Called people have been excluded by gatekeepers. And some good-hearted train wrecks have been affirmed by people who are just trying to be nice. Some churches experienced a revolving door of pastor after pastor, while others seemed to go uninterrupted for decades. And with all these considerations, there are churches and disciples who are not finding themselves being blessed by being connectional. They might find themselves better positioned to chart a course that God has uniquely set before them without the imposition of external authority that doesn't always have a stellar track record of success. So when I look at where we might land on these continuums, here we've got kind of a, an axis of autonomy, where we get to make some of our own determinations, and connectional, which is where we get to be a part of this authoritative structure. And so I'm just going to chart us on this path. I tend to lean 
my, my natural impulse is to lean a little bit more towards the autonomous. You know, it's uh, maybe not the rebellious streak, but maybe it's because I think I'm so smart sometimes. But I kind of force myself to lean towards the connectional side so that I, I land under somebody else's guidance and authority. And so I would kind of put myself here on that one. Now, for St. John's, uh, St. John's has an interesting and, and tricky relationship with the connection with the conference. You know, things have not always been a, a wonderful joy ride with a conference and with appointments and with some of the things that, you know, included a move to this, this very location. And so, though the, the church does a marvelous job at remaining in the connection, I think there is still just a part of it that remains uh, desiring to, to keep a, a level of autonomy, and that's understandable given the, the background. And so I might put St. John's right about here. So it's not, it's not far away from being given to the, uh, the authority of the connection, but I think that there are some things that St. John's has experienced that would put it more in the, we would, we would like to have more input in, in helping to chart our own course. You know, this is not a, a value judgment. This is just some of the background that goes into why we find ourselves where we are. And you can place yourself on that axis too. You can figure out where you might be on being a person who needs to or wants to submit to uh, godly authority or somebody who, who feels like God has gifted you or equipped you to, uh, to be a person of discernment and to, to go more of your own way. I think either of the poles are probably a little bit dangerous. That's true for a lot of these axes, but we can find ourselves anywhere along that spectrum and be in a place that, that would be faithful, a faithful response. When we look at some of the conversations around the future of United Methodism, they seem to give us a choice of a looser connectional system with a lighter administrative overhead and a more dialogical appointment process, or a system designed very much like the one that we have today with administrative overhead that will probably be pared down a bit because of financial necessity and an appointment process that probably adopts the current power dynamic with the bishop as the ultimate authority. And of course, when somebody gives you only two options, there is typically also a third, which is to not play by those rules at all. But it's not just authority and accountability that play into our connection as a larger church. It's also a relationship with the global church, with the more diverse body of Christ. And that takes us to lesson number three. The body of Christ shares in suffering and honor, and we grieve our division. The body of Christ shares in suffering and honor, and we grieve our division. Paul goes on to the church at Corinth. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important actually are the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, then all the parts are glad. All of you together are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. To give us a little bit of perspective of where we stand in the global United Methodist Church, the African United Methodists make up about 42% of United Methodism around the globe, 42%. The largest jurisdiction in the United States makes up about 21% of the UMC, and that's in the southeast. Our jurisdiction, the uh, north central jurisdiction, consists of conferences like uh, East Ohio, West Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois Great Rivers, Northern Illinois, and the Dakotas. And that makes up about 9.4% 
of United Methodism. All those states together make up about 9.4% of global United Methodism. And based on growth and impact, there is a really high likelihood that the future of Wesleyan Methodism will look more like Christ followers in growth areas of Africa, Asia, and Latin America. That's just where the church is growing right now. And what does that mean for us? It means that the U.S. may have the lion's share of the resources of the church, but the church in those other places seem to be bearing the fruit of disciple-making. And there are portions, portions of the United Methodism in the U.S. who would gladly sideline a major segment of our global family because of theological differences, and these are not trifles. They are important. But the way these segments are being dismissed can be problematic. Oh, they're just parroting the colonial evangelical cultural message that's been given to them because they've been promised money and influence by people who are more traditional. And that is condescending and treats our siblings as though they are incapable of their own thought and discernment and that they are, their integrity can be purchased. But when our siblings around the globe also ungraciously equate people with animals or with criminals because of their orientation or identity, that is demeaning and it's hard to make nice with people who question your very humanity. So how do we interact with the global church? Where might we find ourselves on that connection? And again, we go to our axes here. Uh, I think because St. John's has connections with things like Bread for the World, and St. John's has connections with uh, scholarships and things like um, what we get to do in interaction with Liberia, uh, St. John's is probably, I'm going to put St. John's probably right around here on the local versus global so I, I do that, and I'll explain in a second, largely because much of our, our ministry, our mission, our outreach is focused on our immediate neighborhood, but we do have some pretty powerful uh, stretches into uh, global relationships and things like that. We'll detail that. And I'm going to place myself really just kind of right above that line, and again, I'll explain why in a second. So I would put, you know, maybe I would be right here in this quadrant, and St. John's would probably be right here. These are not value judgments, it's just kind of a visual to place where we might be in, in relationship to some of these things. So, St. John's has these, these great relationships with things like Ganta Mission Station in Liberia, and because of long-term relationships that have been cultivated there, we get to fund education through scholarships, and the work that St. John's is, is helping to facilitate there is really changing the face of a whole nation. That's incredible. And through ministries like Compassion International, we get to do the same thing through villages and children around the world. Our tithes and offerings help to go support global ministries through the apportionments that are connected with a larger and global connection. These are good things, but we, we don't often as a congregation have a, a global focus. Uh, we, we tend to be able to focus on things like feeding local pantries through a mission garden. Also fantastic, really incredible work. Uh, and there are a lot of things that we get to do to serve our, our community. The, though I appreciate global mission when it's done in ways that don't necessarily bring this uh, Americans coming to work as the great white savior complex, but instead they build relationships, boost the uh, local workforce through equipping and funding and resourcing and things like that, my, my personal global focus has been somewhat limited lately. I, I have loved to go on international mission trips to places like Nicaragua or to uh, Liberia. And those are, those are powerful experiences that, that can be done wrong if they are done in a, a fairly colonial way. But still, uh, lately, my, my personal global reach has been largely connected with the International Hospitality Program at SIUE. 
we've made some great global friends through the International Hospitality Program, and uh, I, I've had an opportunity to do some educational travels to Israel. That is also relationship building, and I hope to be able to invite some folks from St. John to come along on one of those journeys in the next couple of years. We built some additional global concern into our family through adoption, and that changes the way that we hear and witness things like some of the uh, anti-Asian speech and violence that's taken place over the course of this pandemic just because of the, the way that our family is made up. I don't know that there is a specific right balance of local versus global. Scripture tells us that we are in the body of Christ and we need one another. We don't get to easily dismiss those who are unlike us, and Paul's remedy for that is compassion and care, to honor those and celebrate with those who are experiencing joy and to suffer with those who are suffering and experiencing pain. This passage reminds us that the parts of the body we think are less deserving of honor are the ones that we get to treat with special care. He's basically saying that those parts of the body that we tend to cover up in modesty, we also protect in their vulnerability. There are no throw away parts of the body of Christ. And that's part of the decision that we get to face as disciples and as a church. Not will we be connected, but in what way is God calling me as a Christ follower and all of us together as a church to suffer with those who suffer and to rejoice with those who are rejoicing? And we get to ask ourselves where we might put ourselves in these quadrants, where we might find ourselves along these axes, and where we think God would have us to be. Because it's helpful for us to consider, not only as Methodism faces challenges, but just in our response to God's calling that we are all one as the body of Christ. Even in our divisions, though those divisions may be powerful, those, though, though those divisions may be important, how do we grieve those in ways that are healthy and still acknowledge that there are others unlike us who are a part of the body of Christ. And we invite Jesus to lead and guide us in that incredible work. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, it is overwhelming to know that, Lord, we are just a, a small segment of people around the globe on this day of praise that are lifting your name in celebration, that are caring for one another through prayer, that are surrounding one another with love through their heartbreak, that are begging you, pleading with you for healing, that are offering ourselves in service, that are giving one another encouragement. Lord, in all these things, God, we find your hope that we are tied together in ways that we may not have sought out, that we may not know how to address. But God, you, by your Spirit, have joined us with one another in this unbreakable pattern. We are part of this remarkable tapestry that when woven together, we look like the body of Christ. And God, we, we might wish to tear that in ways that suit our sensibilities, but there's no, there's no tearing of this body. We are one in you. How, how might we do that in ways that honor you, that honor the dignity and worth of those that you've called us to serve well? And God, we pray that above all, your name would be glorified, that you as head of your church would be lifted up. We thank you for the spirit that guides us, for the wisdom and hope that resurrection provides, and for our opportunity to be a part of this incredible body. We love you and thank you in Jesus' holy name.
Amen.